This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to keep your ride or die alive. From superchargers, brakes, exhaust kits, and more, 122 million parts eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home the win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Maybelline New York. Get ready to bring the heat with Maybelline's newest lip plumping gloss, Lifter Plump. Fair warning, though. It's hot. Like, literally. It's formulated with chili peppers to bring a heated sensation and an instant plumping effect that lasts. Available in eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Hot Honey, and more. Buy Lifter Plump now on Amazon and use the code 10PLUMP to get 10% off for a limited time. Tap the banner to learn more. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Tim Marini from TSN. He is a race car driver. He is a really, really smart F1 guy. Joins me to discuss the Monaco Grand Prix. An absolutely chaotic, good race. You need chaos in Monaco. We got it the entire weekend, really. Checo Perez wins his first race of the season, the third in his career, taking advantage of a... Ferrari shocker, quite frankly. We analyzed that. Carlos Sainz, second. Max Verstappen, third. Charles Leclerc, who should have won the race, if not for some strategy pitfalls, finishes fourth. George Russell, fifth. Only driver in the entire grid to get a point in every single race this year. Lando Norris, sixth. Fernando Alonso, uh, 46 46 seconds behind Lando Norris, finishes seventh. We're going to get to uh, his really funny Fun drive on Sunday. Lewis Hamilton, eighth. Botas, ninth. Sebastian Vettel, tenth. And in the points. Here's Tim. All right. Joined now by Tim Haraney, TSN Sports Center contributor, race car driver, and he hosts the TSN Racing Podcast. Um, there was so much chaos that I need somebody to so much smarter about racing and lines and tire strategy to come in and explain this all to me. And that's why I'm so glad Tim is joining us from Toronto. Tim, what's going on, bud? Kevin, thanks so much for having me on, man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, this is awesome. I uh, love the show, by the way. So thank you. Yes. Again, thanks for having me on, dude. This is awesome. Um, yeah, I guess you and I first met in, uh, in Miami during, uh, during the Grand Prix, we were, uh, just walking <laughs> together, seated next to each other, Michael Bauman was between us. And then we were both like on the, let's just see who's in the paddock circuit. And just seeing like Dwayne Wade in ridiculous clothing, walking in and all these guys, we, we basically just sat in the front of the paddock and just said, let's just watch, let's just yeah. people watch for an hour. And I don't think there's a better 
uh, maybe there's there's not a better non-sports sporting event uh, tradition than to just sitting in the paddock and just seeing, oh, there's David Beckham. There's all these people. It is uh, it is bizarre, chaotic. All of the things, by the way, that we got on the track today in yeah. Monaco. Um, yeah. So let's start from the top. So this race was supposed to start uh, an hour and five minutes before it actually did. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what, what kind of happened today. So the rain started to come down a little bit right before the race start, was supposed to start. Uh, the engineers and basically everybody, I mean, there were team principals who were rushing out tires because uh, teams just needed to start changing once the rain came down. I mean, obviously, they, you know, there, I saw Will Buxton tweet from three hours before the race saying, this is going to be a sunny race. It's going to be fine. Uh, that changed quickly. Um, and then once that happened, there were two formation laps, then a red flag. Um, eventually, after the red flag, there's about an hour delay. Things get going. In that hour, basically everybody, Max Verstappen, Christian Horner, Martin Brundle, Crofty, Ted Kravitz, everybody basically just said, let's go racing. Let's sort it out. We talked a little bit, Tim, before we started recording here. You agree with them. I agree with them. What should have happened at the top of this race, Tim? Yeah, no, I agree with them as well. I mean, you definitely kind of want to go racing. I mean, the conditions uh, right before, obviously, it got worse. But before that, I mean, you they had the opportunity to go and, and start start the race, at least. And it could have been a standing start as well on top of that. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is I, I've raced in like monsoons before and like it's bad. You can't really see much. I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's your job as the driver. You kind of you have sure. to navigate your way around these situations. And, you know, Martin Brundle always says it best, best you know, with the throttle works both ways. And he's right. Uh, he, he definitely yeah. is right. I mean. This isn't, it's, it's not kind of, it's not like NASCAR, obviously, where you can't go racing in the rain on an oval. It's just not possible. It doesn't work, but with road street circuits, it works. You can, you can do it. Yeah. They have the equipment. They have the type of tires that can really just suck that water right out of the ground and give them some yeah. level of grip. The only, the only real issue is visibility. So I would say, uh, midway through that red flag session, we really started like dumping it down. I mean, for yeah. sure, that's that's going to be a bit of an issue. But at the same time, you know, we kind of tune in to watch the some of these greatest drivers on earth, yes. like navigate these Formula One cars, these almost thousand horsepower cars, like around Monaco. That's why we're we're kind of tuning in. So we want to see these drivers with this immense talent navigate this city yeah. city street like under these conditions like that's why we kind of tune in man like it's i don't know they i, I think they could have easily have gone racing off the start there i agree agree and, and that was somebody made the point during the broadcast that you could have gotten 15 minutes of really interesting um strategy heavy racing then red flagged it and gone from there but at least we would have seen what would have happened as the rain started as it intensified i thought there were some really interesting wrinkles that could have happened if the race director sort of had a better grapple uh, grip on the situation. Um, Steve Matchett, the, the, the great um, car mind mm -hmm. author, you know, uh, has, has done a lot of interesting things uh, in, the, in the sport. He said he, he str strongly suspects the FIA was concerned by the stiffness of the suspension on the new cars in the wet conditions, mm -hmm. not really knowing um, the, there's not a lot of roll in the cars. Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of slipping and sliding. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to see it. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think that that's such a, even if that's the case, I just want to see what that looks like. And sure. there were so many people posting 
great uh, rain runs in Monaco in the past. We've seen it before. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this kind of chaos is what's going to save Monaco. There are diehard racing people. There are people in the sport who want Monaco to come off the calendar because it's a procession, because nothing ever happens there. And if, if you're going to try to avoid chaos there, and this was a chaotic weekend, and we're going to get to that, but if you're going to try to avoid chaos, there is no reason to have Monaco on the calendar. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you, you make like a ton of great, great points there. I mean, obviously with Monaco uh, being on the schedule and then now starting to negotiate to get themselves back on the schedule for following seasons, and now this is kind of starting to come down uh, to the dollars and cents. Obviously, Formula One is going to want them to start you know, paying. And I think obviously Formula One is going to want to have more control over um, the TV broadcasts as well uh, for this race. And so there's a, there's a lot happening obviously within the background. And I think for Monaco's sake, I think they kind of needed a really exciting race here. I mean, at the end of the day, there's been conversations as to can they get the track sort of reconfigured so they can start having a bit more better racing. I mean, these cars, as they're designed, they are way too big for Monaco. Like they're they're just Huge. too big, and it's so hard for them to pull off a pass with these cars. They're gigantic. Uh, they weigh yeah. a ton. And you made some great points with you know how stiffly sprung they are now because of where they generate the downforce from. And there's yeah. just so many other factors that kind of go into this. But Monaco, I think, really needed to have a good race you know this yeah. weekend I, I think you know kevin it was it was really important for them to to, to have a good one and like I, I really do think they should have just they, they should have thrown the green flag on this or should have went lights out on this one uh right off the hop all right so let's get to the actual win and all the things around it so sergio perez as we know wins the race this coming one race after team orders presented him uh prevented him from even threatening to win in barcelona i don't think he would have won uh just judging by uh, the, the speeds and the times and the, the tire wear and all that stuff in Barcelona, but he was uh, taken out of competition by Christian Horner and, and Red Bull. Um, but this was significant. It was funny because midweek I, I, I talked about this and, and I wasn't even considering something like this when I said it, but I said it must be so demoralizing for Checo to know that the only way he's allowed to win a race is if everything goes haywire. But guess what? Everything went haywire in the next week. Um, disastrous qualifying that prevented, probably, I was just listening to Christian Horner, prevented Max Verstappen from getting the front row because he wasn't able to do that final lap, which then obviously uh, leads to him being frustrated the entire time, basically. Um, the Ferrari strategy disaster, which we're certainly going to cover here. But this was Perez understanding what he needed to do. He had that lockup on the mediums and and that that put him in a little bit of danger. But overall, he took advantage of a bunch of people's mistakes. He was great on Sunday. What'd you think about this uh, th- this win for for Checo, Tim? Yeah, it's huge. I you know getting your third win in Formula One and having it come at I mean Monaco is is pretty yeah. spectacular, man. I mean that's pretty awesome. I mean it's good for it's good for him and. I think at the end of the day, you know, you said it, you said it perfectly after what happened in, in Spain, um, hearing from Checo on, on the, uh, Friday, you know, he was yeah explaining that, you know, Hey, had a conversation with the team. We've had a disagreement on the pit stop strategy because of in, in, in Spain, one was on a three stop, the other yeah. was on a two stop and one favored one, uh, strategy over the other. Yeah. And for Sergio to come away with this 
you know, victory, not only obviously helping him within the championship standings, but also, you know, giving him a bit more motivation to push a little bit harder as the season kind of rolls along. This is a car that, you know, last season's car didn't really play to Sergio's strengths. It played to Max's strengths, you know, let's be honest. But with this season's car, it, it plays to Sergio's strengths. Like Sergio is a very smooth driver and everyone's always saying he's a tire whisperer and all of these things. And it's true. And there's a reason why it's because he's extremely smooth with the car. He doesn't chew through the yeah. tires. He's very smooth with how he brakes, how he comes off of the brake, how he carries that mid speed into the apex, how he gets back onto the power coming out of the corner. And he's just very delicate with everything. And that helps with driving a race car that creates downforce from underneath, from a ground effect. And I think moving forward, he needs to keep asserting himself to, I, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to win the championship, but I think he can get second in this championship. And I think he can get, you know, close to max by the end of the season, but that can only play into his hand for 2023. And, and, you know, that's kind of, I think for Sergio, that's where he's got to start looking. So here are the standings. Verstappen, 125. Leclerc, 116. Checo, 110. George Russell, 84. Signs, 83. You made the point about 2023 and how close he can get. Christian Horner was basically saying that the delta between and the gulf between him and Max is shrinking. I agree with you. I don't think he's in the title fight this year. But it was, it was funny to me because uh, Nico Rosberg asked Horner after the, after the race, now that it's you know 15 points separating them, are there going to be more team orders? Is th- does this change the narrative at all? And I'm curious what you think about this. Does this win, maybe for the next month, two months, whatever it is, change the narrative and make Red Bull more reluctant to do the team orders thing, to make Checo the obvious? I mean, listen, he is the number two driver because he's he's paired with one of the best drivers in the world right now. Um, but in that in the, those sorts of situations going forward, does this win change the narrative at all within the paddock and within the garage for Red Bull? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I you know, it's it's tough with with Red Bull. I mean, that program is so um cutthroat. And you know, at the end of the day, it, it is a program that is geared towards currently Max Verstappen. I mean, obviously yeah. he's a he's a tremendous talent. And you know, I think for these Formula One teams, just at the moment, you know, you always have like a number one driver and, an, and a number two driver. And it's just kind of the way things sort of go. You know, they you they try to bring upgrades. They try to give every driver uh, exactly what they are getting and what their teammates are getting to try and level the playing field. But at the end of the day, it gets to a point where it's just can't be done. And because it's just your yeah. resources are stretched too thin or you're just, you've, you've got a horse and you got to back it. And I think at the end of the day, Verstappen is that driver. I really do think that if there are, if there does come a point where team orders will or should come into effect. I think, yeah, they're, they're going to have to play that card. And unfortunately, I think Sergio is, is going to have to play that number two driver from here on out, unfortunately. I think if he had made a stronger push towards the start of the season and made that argument yeah. that like, hey, I'm here to compete for, for this championship this season right now, then you know, this, we would be having a different conversation, but it's a tough one because, you know, Sergio is, he's an incredible talent. He's an incredible driver and he's paired against, 
you know, <laughs> one, you know, one of the other great drivers of the sport. So I mean, it makes things really difficult for Red Bull. But yeah, I, I honestly do think that a few more races time, I, I, I do think if team orders have to come into play, I think they will. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the entire organization, as you said, is all in on Max Verstappen. That's just what this is. So they go to Baku next, and Red Bull should probably win there because of the straight line speed. And I want to talk about what Red Bull does well for people who maybe don't understand because they do so many things correctly to where they're always in position to capitalize if somebody screws up. And Ferrari certainly screwed up Mm -hmm. on Sunday. Their strategy is always pretty good. Their pit stops are just remarkably consistent. Um, As someone who who studies the sport and studies just the the nature of car racing, uh, what are, are Red Bull's best attributes in 2022? Yeah, I think that uh, that straight line speed, like you had mentioned, yeah. uh, for for sh- for sure. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a powerful engine. What they have, I think, the amount of downforce they're able to create uh, within the race car itself is is very strong as well. They've they've kind of got this perfect sort of package with this car that they have for this season. It doesn't really have a ton of like real weak points. I mean, you'll hear them complain every once in a while about the front end not being able to turn in and things like that. But there's a lot of teams that are really struggling a lot with with front end with these race cars this season. And that's just kind of the way it is and the nature of these regulations at the moment. And so I think like for, for, for that, you know, yes, you know, Red Bull, I think has a great race car. I mean, I said this back in Miami and Australia actually was the point where I really started to notice it with the yeah. Ferrari. Is the Ferrari is a great qualifying car? It just is. It's it's incredible. But when it comes to the race and that tire uh, management, and we saw this in Miami with tire, you know, management. I believe it was you know Leclerc started on the mediums, and so did Max. And I think if I can remember correctly, it was like lap 10 or, or, or lap 12. It isn't around that range where, you yeah. know, Leclerc really started to get some front graining and I believe it was the front left. And, you know, that tire really started to go away on him where Max was just able to kind of nurse the tires a bit more until he found that window where it's okay. Leclerc's starting to struggle with tires. Now I can start to attack him. And, I think that's where Red Bull has that significant advantage is in that tire management mode uh, within yeah. a race, Kevin. Yeah, totally agree with you. All right, let's get to Ferrari. I mean, I'm almost I'm almost dreading getting to Ferrari because we may never get out of this discussion. <laughs> so Leclerc is told to stay out while he's in the pit lane. He's about five feet away from getting a tire change and he's told to stay out. I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. They double stack the change with Carlos Sainz. They come out of the pit lane behind the um, the Red Bulls, and obviously then the Red Bulls make their change. They double stack as well, and then they they get a lead that they never relinquish. I'm surprised there was no um, Benotto after the the race was basically saying he was surprised there was no penalty um, for for pit lane uh, encroachment. I tend to agree with that. I'm surprised there there wasn't really anything. Um, it was it was close. Ferrari didn't think it was close. They said afterwards, but I, I do think it was close. I was surprised there was no no further action. Yeah, but take us through take it take us through that that I, for lack of a better term, Tim shit show <laughs> and what could have been done. I mean, I've got the quotes in front of me, and I'll get to them. But what could have been done, what was done, and just how big a disaster this is for Ferrari because last week, listen. Leclerc lost power last week 
and he treated it a hell of a lot better than this week. And that just shows you how, I don't know, demoralizing this was, draining this was. In his home race, it's human error. It's unforced error. And Ferrari, you know, Nico Rosberg was saying this after the broadcast, and that was interesting. He said, the strategy's never been Ferrari's strong suit, and they've never gotten better at it. They've never gotten better at it. And it was amazing to me because Ferrari's always had certain problems. And it was funny. I was listening uh, a couple of weeks ago um, to, to Steve Nichols, uh, who, who, the former car designer. And he was talking about when he went to Ferrari and he would draw up a car and then it wouldn't run like he, he said he was going it was was going to. And then he would go to the one of the guys and they'd say, well, we actually didn't do what you asked. We did like we did this to this other way because we thought it would be better. Right. Like there's just a very weird culture sometimes in certain parts of Ferrari where it's just a different deal. And as, as Nico said, they've never improved strategy. Um, they have problems like this all the time for decades. Uh, mm-hmm. How big of a shit show is this, Tim? Yeah, you know, that, that's a that's a great point you make because, yeah, for, you know, Ferrari has had uh, problems with strategy for quite a long time. I mean, we go back to like, you know, 2017 with uh, when Vettel and, and Hamilton, you know, were going at it for... Uh, for the championship. And, you know, again, you know, strategy uh, really costed Vettel some, some races then as well. And and it kind of just kind of compounded itself and they've never really been able to kind of work that out down at Ferrari in terms of strategy. I mean, it's been better obviously, but this, you know, this weekend, this race at Monaco Grand Prix, that was a huge mess up. And interesting to, to, to note, um, Mattia Bonotto's comments after the race with the uh, yellow blend line coming out of pit, pit lane. Yeah. Uh, he, he is correct. You know, I went back and, and checked from the FIA and it does say in the race director's notes uh, that, you know, the d- drivers do have to stay completely to the right on entry. And, you know, Max yeah. was on the line, on the line. And so Ferrari currently, as we are taping this, going to the FIA to, to get more clarification on on the race yep. director's notes because when the race director writes it in there you know you would assume that they will be enforcing it i mean it could could be that Verstappen just got away with one here um on yep. that but we'll have to wait and see how that kind of plays out in terms of you know Charles Leclerc i mean kevin like it's uh you, you, you got to you got to feel bad for the guy man like I, it was awful, awful. Two weeks in a row, he should have won the race, and and he got screwed by a power unit last week and a strategy guy this week. This home race, though, man. Like if we go back to, oh gosh, I believe you know 2018. I believe it was a it was a DNF, and then mm-hmm. 2019 as as well, and then didn't even start it in 2021 because he had crashed and damaged. I believe it was the gearbox during. Uh, Q3 for the Monaco Grand Prix that season, then crashes like a legendary Ferrari yes. weeks, weeks before at this, at this racetrack. Now I, I, I feel totally bad for this guy because he was top of the class all weekend. He was the fastest in P1. He was quickest yep. in P2. Perez beat him in P3, but he got pole in qualifying I just really thought that this was it. I thought this was going to yeah. be the race that Charles Leclerc finally got a win at his home race in a car. Th- th- this is the car, right? Like this could be yep. the championship winning car that he's got his hands on here. And yeah, race strategy out the window gets called it. He is literally in pit lane when they're telling him to stay out. Like 
c- come on. You, you can even tell in telemetry that he's in pit lane. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Yep. Yep. I mean, listen, you, you use the phrase could be the championship winning car. I think it is the championship winning car undone by a non-championship winning team, which is screwing everything up for him. So explain what should have been done with that strategy. Um, obviously, Bonotto afterwards said they, 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 uh, miss, they probably underestimated the pace of, of the, uh, the intermediates at that point. Um, at, so Leclerc afterwards said he was asked if he wanted to go from, off of the extreme wets, he said yes, but not now. They brought him in anyway. Uh, they got overcut by by Red Bull. Um, explain the actual problem here with what Ferrari did and how Red Bull took advantage of it. Yeah, I know. You also have to kind of look at Carlos' science as well, right? I mean, because at that yes. time, like, there's a there's a dry line that's starting to form, and everyone's kind of curious as to okay, who's going to jump on to slick tires? here first, right? Who, who's going to be the first sort of domino sort of to fall at this moment? I believe it was, uh, it was, it was Gasly and Albon, if I'm correct on that yeah. one. With Gasly was the first, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were the kind of the yeah. first ones to kind of switch over. And so if, you know, you take that and you look at their Delta and what they're doing, you know, Carlos Sainz did a really good job of kind of rolling that dice and playing into, okay, I'm going to stay out here and, and get onto a slick tire. And I think, you know, Ferrari just got to that point where they were just like, okay, well, if Carlos is going to come in, <laughs> then we got to try and double stack them at this moment because it could get worse for us. And I think they just kind of you know, pressure, you know, just that, that pressure just get, yep. getting to them. And for science, just on that, um, I believe it was the outlap for, for him, because yeah. if he had have had a better outlap, there is a chance there that he does get this race victory or he doesn't, you know, get undone by Sergio Perez here at the end. So I think there was a bit of traffic 
for Carlos at, at that moment, it slowed him up a few, a few seconds. Uh, he'd commented on it after the race. And so there, there's a number of different things uh, in factor at that moment, so much happening in the span of 60 seconds or, or more. Like it was absolutely bizarre scenes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And this is two weeks in a row where Ferrari should have won and not just the constructor championship, which obviously with someone like Checo winning, it seems further and further in doubt each week. Uh, but at some point, you know, I think Red Bull is going to win in, in Azerbaijan. As I said, there are faster tracks over the course of the summer. They're going to favor Red Bull. They're just not holding serve in the places that they should be holding serve. This is a bunch of slow corners, Tim, and this should be Ferrari tracks and they're just undoing it. Yeah, it, it's a great point that you make because, you know, if you look at, at sector three in, in Spain and you yeah. usually that gives us a good understanding as to who has the better car and sort of the slower speed racetracks. And it kind of sets us up to, for the understanding of like, okay, so in sector at the end of Spain, you know, it was Ferrari, Red Bull, for Romeo, who were the fastest. And so you're thinking, okay, you know, they're a legit shot at, at a win here in, in model. At a track that, you know, you're absolutely right. Charles Leclerc's pole lap is, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I think I believe it was like, what, three? It was about three almost separating himself to, to, to science. You know, they, they had the car. Like, this was yeah. the yeah. Because this was it. If any, 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 there was a time where they had an advantage, this was time. And so as we kind of start digging into the season here, the upgrades Ferrari brings, they're, they're going to have to be hitting some runs to, try Significant. to yeah. keep, just to keep pace with Red Bull, because we know that that Red Bull development machine that they've got, it, it's powered by Adrian Newey, yeah. who's an absolute genius. Okay, so this is what you're up against. You're up against a world championship winning team that's just coming off of winning the drivers' championship um, in 2021, and they're gunning for another one. And you know, if you're Ferrari, I mean, you can't, you just can't have mistakes right now, especially right now at Monaco, where you had the advantage. Yeah, um, it's it just, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the, the Horner and his post-race press conference said he wanted Adrian Newey up there on the podium to accept it because of what we're talking about. <laughs> he's designing these cars and <laughs> he's he's crushing it once again and read his book, How to Design a Car. <laughs> uh, it is an amazing memoir about how he built different cars over his life and also some of his life story. Very interesting guy. One of the smartest people to ever work in F1. Two quick ones for you. You are Canadian. When you saw both Canadian billionaire drivers crash into the wall in the formation lap, I mean, that's that's a blow. That's a blow to the national ego, Tim. I mean, it's not like a blow. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not the one driving the race car, okay? <laughs> at the end of the day, none of us are in the race car <laughs> at that time. So we have no idea what's going on. Hearing from Nicholas after the race uh, sounded as though something happened with the throttle pedal that it actually was yeah. stuck open at that moment when he was trying to turn into the into the into one of the slowest, if not the slowest corner in Formula One. And that's how he kind of ended up in the, in the barrier to kind of start this thing off with, with Lance. Yeah. Just a bit too wide and just, yeah, it's greasy out there, man. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I, I'm always excited to read online who Nicholas Latifi is going to get replaced with mid season. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, give me a break. I, everyone seems to think that this yeah. guy is the worst driver, like in the world. I mean, you don't, sure. you can have all the money in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and that's still not going to get you into formula one. 
You, you have to possess level of talent just to get there, just to get in. And then whatever happens after that, it, it just happens. I mean, the Williams car at the moment is just, it's not a good car. It's, just, it's not. And it's yeah. not, it basically the way Nicholas's driving style is suiting it whatsoever. Yeah. And they need more downforce. They have great line speed, but the car generating down is crucial with cars this season. We don't have it. It's not there. And if we look at the Aston Martin with this new car that they've they've brought, I mean, yeah. I actually, like, I think they really have something here. If Lance hadn't have messed up, in th- this is a Q3 car. Um, all right. So here, here, here's a, there's a couple, uh, couple big picture kind of philosophical questions. Number one, did the clock today so if anybody didn't watch or, or whatever mm-hmm. you didn't watch the whole thing um because of of how long the race was going there's a three-hour window then a two-hour window to race we were up against that and so instead of going 77 laps they went uh for for two hours and so a clock started to go down and then once the clock hit zero there's there's a they're on the final lap and then they they finished the race there um they needed to get to 58 laps in order for it to be a full points race that happened um from a driving perspective, does that change anything, Tim? I mean, would, th- would this race have played out differently if it ended up being a 77-lap race or there wasn't a literal clock? I mean, literally, when when on the last lap, the, the guy who, who raised the flag just literally stuck out one finger. I mean, it was kind of analog. Um, did that change anything about this race other than basically tire, maybe maybe a couple of, a couple of pit strategies at the back? Yeah, that, that would be pretty much it. It's just simply like strategy. You know, as a driver, you, you always want to... You always want to have an understanding of how your your strategy is going to to work, so you can kind of envision how your your race, you know, theoretically should play out before you you get into the race car and get going. That obviously things happen, but um, it, it, I would say that's pretty much it. Once it becomes timed race, as you're racing, you have no idea. You know, you're not even asking about laps or how many laps are, are left. It's just one of those things that, hey, it's going to be a timed race. And then you just know you got to buckle down and stay focused and just make sure you don't, you know, make mistakes. Like when Sergio, like when Sergio made that mistake, uh, when he locked up the front left, I believe it was, I mean, like that's for, for him, He's got to know in his head, like, okay, there's, you know, 30 something minutes left. I can't make any more mistakes because now I've got a flat spot on my tire. And for those who don't know, the flat spots is obviously basically the tire is round. You lock it up. Yeah. You shave some of that roundness out of it. Now you've kind of got like a bit of a round and a bit of a square on there. So it's like, it's not very comfortable to drive at all. Uh, and the flat spots can get really bad where it literally it feels like your teeth are shaking out of your mouth. It wasn't yeah. that bad for Sergio, but at the end of the day, I mean, like for, for him to manage that, keep a, keep, keep a cool head, stay focused, and just wait till you get that, you know, last lap sort of signal. I mean, it, it, it is crucial for sure. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just racing. You've got to put your head down, go and just stay focused. So we have some listener questions and I want to get to this one because it's also, it, it is not about Mercedes, but it, it's going to jump off into a Mercedes discussion. Mm. The question is, why is Fernando Alonso the way he is? So if you what? don't know, if you don't know, Fernando Alonso finished seventh today. And there was a 40 second, 46 second gap between him and Lando Norris. He uh, basically, I saw, the, I saw a couple of people say he was basically trolling his, his way around the track. And it was glorious to see. He held up Hamilton. Uh, he basically parked the bus in a way. Uh, masterclass there. 
And then he's at one point after he it, the goal the gap had widened significantly, he went ahead and set the fastest lap. Um, so he was having an amazing, uh, interesting drive on, on Sunday. Um, Fernando, at this point in his career, what'd you think about his drive and, and him holding up Hamilton? Who, by the way, Ocon was also penalized mm-hmm. for for making contact with Hamilton as well. So interesting drive for Hamilton, mm-hmm. interesting drive for Alonso. Uh, Tim, what'd you think about that particular battle today? Yeah, and then Ocon obviously getting hit with that five-second time penalty yeah. for for causing a collision with the uh, the stewards did notify us that that was for turn one incident between uh, Ocon um, and Hamilton. But like, I mean, if, if you're like if you're Alonso and and I don't know what his train of thought was at that moment, but if you're able to kind of hold Lewis up so Esteban can 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 get in front, I mean, you gotta. You got to do it. You got to play that team game. And then hopefully you yeah. guys can kind of extend, extend the gap a bit. So Ocon doesn't fall out of the points with that five second time right. penalty. So there's a bit of strategy involved uh, in that as, as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Alonzo, I haven't heard from him just yet as we go to taping a will in a little bit, but at this yeah. moment, I mean, his thought process just could have been the car is just not quick enough and I got to try yeah. and stay in front of Lewis and I got to hold on to these yeah. points because we got to get as many points as we can for this team. I mean, that's what you do as a racing driver. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you got to like slow it up in some points and try and make things difficult for other drivers, I mean, that's racing, right, man? Like it's just, yep. just the way it is. I mean, uh, Fernando did his, he did his job. Uh, next question from, oh, let's actually get into Mercedes real quick. So George Russell finishes fifth. He is still the only driver to get points in every single race. He's Mr. Consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, more impressed. I mean, I, I guess what's your diagnosis of, of Mercedes today? They didn't take a step forward. We thought that would probably be the case just mm-hmm. in the sense that this was a bunch of slow corners. Yeah. There, was, there was a lot, there was not a lot of optimism from anybody on the team coming into this weekend. Uh, Russell getting fifth seems, seems fine to me, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lewis told us uh, after Spain that like the upgrades that they have bought brought it, it, you know, they seem to have made some improvements to the car. They have an understanding now of what the issues are and how to fix them. So those fixes will eventually start to make their way onto onto this race car. Um, but yeah, both both drivers were pretty open in the fact that coming to Monaco was going to be a, a difficult weekend for them to, I mean, salvage the positions that yeah. they were able to in this race. I think is is really good. I. I mean, I think they were that they were thinking that this could be this could be a lot worse, but you have to take your hat off to George Russell. I mean, he's yep. been absolutely awesome. Um, and, and you know, I, yes, I understand. You know, Lewis Hamilton's a seven-time Formula One World Champion, and he is awesome at the same time. But I think, like at this moment, we're seeing an, a driver that's on that level, right? Like we yep. have Hamilton, who's like uber talented, and now he's got a teammate who's just as good. And yep. I think that both of that really pushes them and pushes this team forward. If you're Total Wolf, you've got to love this. Like you have yep. to. I mean, you're getting two uber talented drivers like this are going to push the team forward and who are working well together. Like these two drivers yes. are working well together at the moment, which is great to see because that's going to push the development of this car forward uh, quicker. I mean, but uh, George has just gotten off to a great foot. And, and you know, I've, I've said this on my podcast a, a ton of times, um, but I'll say it here. I think his time at Williams is really paying off here. Yeah. What I mean by that is, you know, those Williams cars were a handful that George Russell drove. They were probably some of the worst race cars like he's ever, he's ever driven. And he was able to eventually make them somewhat quick. 
And I think for George, he just something different and kind of got a different tool and tool belt, so to speak. So making his way to Mercedes, having the porpoising, and then everything else that kind of came with the porpoising, George was able to just find a way of getting this car to this sweet spot for him to extract that, that lap time. Working on that Williams car back in the day, I think Kevin it really paid off. It has really paid off for him so far this season. I just want to just one thing. So Andrew Benson reported that Christian Horner, the, the reason that the protest from Ferrari came out mm-hmm. is because Christian Horner was talking to the media, got a call from the FIA while talking to the media, and then told the media what the call was about. Like, this is the final form of Christian Horner. He's just constantly giving <laughs> interviews. Now he's just basically a conference in the media now with his calls <laughs> with the FIA and the stewards. Um, this is uh, this is amazing stuff. So we, we will God. not probably not have any ruling. There's two separate protests, one against Checo, one against Verstappen. We will see what mm-hmm. happens. Um, question from, there's actually probably 15 people. There were, we, got, we got 110 questions. I would guess 40 of them were, were, were about the track of Monaco. Um, Nick Lux, Lux asks, would, F, would the F1 ever consider going to Monaco every other year as some sort of compromise? Is there an ideal replacement if they ever tried to change it? So let's just tackle this broadly. Should Monaco come off the track, uh, the schedule? And if it does, what should replace it? Yeah, I was speaking with uh, T- Total Wolf about this um, on Saturday. And, you know, I had asked sure. him, like, you know, hey, do, do you think that Monaco should be should be on the calendar here? I mean, like, if if they're going to move forward and not kind of pay the pay the fees that other venues are paying, I mean, should should they be here? Because, I mean, if we, if we think about it, like, you know, there's a lot of legacy, you know, racetracks, that, that are out yeah. there. I mean, Canada obviously is, is one of them yeah. and they pay like a healthy price <laughs> yep. to bring formula one to Canada, to Montreal for the Canadian Grand Prix. And it's kind of like, okay, well, shouldn't Monaco kind of start paying some of these prices as well. And total wolf told me that, you know, he was a bit biased because obviously, you know, he splits his time there. And sure. One of the things though, he also understands is that, everyone's kind of got to pay their share. And I think for, for Monaco to stay on the calendar, I think they kind of have to play yeah. ball now. Like you, you, they've got to start paying. Um, I think they need to have more conversations and this needs to be open to like, what can they do with the racetrack? How can they expand things? How can they make it? So it's a little more friendlier with these bigger race cars yeah. now. So I think that in itself is a whole, I don't think it should be removed from the calendar completely. I do think there needs to be changes to the racetrack for sure. And I do think they need to pay their fair share moving forward hundred uh, percent. I agree. I, I yeah. think there has to be a way for there to be some sector mm-hmm. where there's, where there's legitimate overtaking. I listen, I loved the idea that going around the hairpin turn they were inches. Of, there were four cars, the four best cars in the world, with four of the best drivers in the world, were inches away from each other. That was thrilling. Mm-hmm. But there's no payoff to that. There's no payoff to that. <laughs> no. That's it. You just see it, and it's like, oh, that's cool to see. That's a cool little photo you can take. And then nothing happens from there, right? It's just like those TV shows where it's like you're on episode eight, and you're just like, has anything happened here? Um, I mean, then listen, the chaos and that that sort of stuff saved it. That we have a ton to talk about. Um, but you know, the actual racing. It can just be improved upon. Um, last thing, is there anybody when you look at the the race classification um, exiting Sunday, Tim, that disappointed you? I mean, it, it feels like you know Ricardo again, thirteenth. I'm not I'm not surprised now anymore. 
Um, Albon, Schumacher, Magnussen out of the race. Obviously, Schumacher, his car basically oh, fell apart. That was that, that was, was surprising a, to see. Thank, thank God he's okay. Um, but is there anybody where you're saying this this guy got the un, aside from the the teams you already talked about at the top? Is there anybody you say this guy got the unquestioned loss of Sunday? Yeah, I mean, we you got to talk about Daniel Ricardo a bit. I mean, for, yeah. for sure. Uh, and and listen, I I think Daniel Ricardo's a super talented driver. Is he struggling with these new forms of regulations? Yes, he is. I mean, it's yeah. it's definitely noticeable. I mean, if you just kind of look at the, the the lap delta to himself and Norris in qualifying, I believe it was somewhere around seven to eight tenths. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big delta, you know, to, yeah. to your, to your teammate. Um, so I, there was a lot of talk, you know, coming into this weekend with, with Daniel Ricardo and what Zach Brown, um, had said in lead up to this race weekend. And, you know, Daniel having to kind of come out and say, like, you know, Zach's kind of right. I got some thick skin here. I can't, can't remember what his full quote was. Yeah. It was like, Hey, I'm my, my skin is really tanned and it's thick so I can take it sort of deal. I'm paraphrasing obviously, but yeah, for, for Daniel. Yeah. T- he's, t- he's, I think he said tan, tan, beautiful and thick, tan, beautiful. And thick. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Stand yeah. corrected. But like, you know, for, for, he's, for, he- for Daniel, he knows like, how to play it. He knows how to play it. Yeah, for sure. He doesn't know how he does well with the media, but like he's, he's got to do well with this race car and he's got to start figuring this out uh, soon. Right. And, and it could be, it, it, it could be an issue. Like this could literally turn into a bigger issue than it already is. Um, Mick Schumacher as, as well. I mean, I don't, I don't like um, beating on, on Mick because I, I think he's, I think he's a talented driver once he starts to understand what he has to do. I mean, if you go back and you look at, junior formulas in formula three, two seasons till he won the championship and then moved on to, to formula mm-hmm. two, same thing, two seasons till he won the, the championship. So for Mick, he's just the type of driver that just takes a little bit longer to kind of start to get up to speed, but that crash in Saudi Arabia, I mean, that affected the confidence. It, it has to have uh, heading into, I believe Australia, which was, which was next. And then it just didn't really go quite well. And then we kind of started to see like, once we, once we kind of got to to Spain or well, Miami, Spain, like the confidence starting to come back, you know, he's starting to get yeah. on pace with, with Kevin Magnuson, who had not a lot of mileage in this race car to start the season to begin with. Um, and then, you know, what we had happen in Monaco, you know, Mick saying afterwards that he was feeling all right. Um, but what he had done is he had gone just a tiny bit too wide, about 10 yeah. centimeters is what he said. And, just by doing that, he lost all the grip and, and crashed the car. I mean, happy that, you know, Mick was able to kind of get, get out unscathed for, for sure. Cause that was a big one. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there, there are, there are other drivers in this field that are struggling with these regulations. You know, it's not yeah. just a select few. It's not just like Danny Ricardo, Mick Schumacher. I mean, there, there are others right. that are just having trouble kind of getting, getting up to speed, Kevin, and just kind of, understanding yeah. what the driving style is and what the car actually, what it needs, what they need to give it so they can yeah. extract the performance um, from it. And for these drivers, like they'll eventually start learning it. I, I mean, it's, it, it's not a quick fix for sure, but the further we get into the season, the more these drivers that are currently struggling will start to understand it and start to get up to speed. So I'm not like totally concerned about like the likes of Daniel Ricardo's and the mix Schumacher's. Like I'm not totally worried about that, but they will get there eventually. It's just going to take some time. 
Tim Moraney, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on the Rep One Show. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Kevin. Really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.